Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, and my co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today, we have some pragmatic folks in the building. Oh yeah, we're going to be talking about our pragmatic, common sense programming techniques and pragmatic concepts. Oh yeah. So yeah, we have Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt, who need no introduction, but if you'd like, you can give yourselves one. <laughs> Go ahead. Whoever I'm Dave wants- Thomas. I'm Andy Hunt. Hey, thank you guys for coming on by. And, you know, thank you for all of your hard work on the uh, 20th anniversary edition of Pragmatic Programmer. Oh, thanks for having us. It's been a really interesting and fun time getting back to the old material, the old stuff we really haven't consciously looked at in a long time. You know, I reread it every couple of years, maybe for some reason or other, but we hadn't been in there and working on it for 10, 15 years, really. Uh, it was a really interesting opportunity to go and sort of almost open up a time capsule in a way and kind of, you know, voyage back to those days of the late 90s. <laughs> you know, different languages roamed the landscape. And, yeah, uh, Seinfeld was on the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of an interesting ability to commune with an earlier version of yourself and to some extent see how things have changed, not just like in the industry, but also within your own thinking. Hmm. So some stuff back then that made like a lot of sense at the time, some of it just became outdated. And some of it is kind of like, you know what, having thought about this for the last 20 years, I wouldn't say it that way. I'd say it differently. That was actually really quite an enjoyable part of the experience. Yeah, I would say a lot of the concepts that are in the book also feel very brand new. Yeah, if you actually look at the content in terms of what's changed, there's probably about one third of the topics are brand new. They didn't even exist in the first book. Mm -hmm. And then of the rest, probably about 80% have been either mildly or viciously changed, depending (laughs) on the kind of topic. I think it's really probably fair to say, I don't think a single page, a single full page of content escaped unscathed. Definitely not. Definitely not. We had to go through and edit the the low-level stuff, such as the technologies that we referenced, because we talked about programming languages and environments that that don't exist now, and people would look at it and be, what are you talking about? It doesn't resonate. I don't know what what that is. So we had to change the sort of – that was kind of the low-hanging fruit, if you will, to go through. Right. Yeah, that's kind of like an obvious thing that you you look at and – it's glaring, but I do feel like a lot of the the concepts that are in there, the core like nuggets of knowledge and information. You know, I, I have my old copy here with me, and things like uh, rubber ducking, like it, it's just so common sense, and it's very strange in that it just works. And having that that label on it like really helps. Well, that you know, it's funny you mention that because both Dave and I have gotten this comment a lot over the years that we put a voice to things, we put a name to things that people sort of knew about, maybe did, maybe heard about, but didn't have any kind of you know taxonomy to call it. So we named these things. We named these practices that we did, that other people did that were common. And you know where we could, we'd put a, a, a cute story with it, make a nice metaphor, attach a name to it. And that, I think, made a really big difference. It made it sticky for people. So they would remember it. So they would talk about it. So it would become more explicit. Yes, this is a thing that I do. Instead of this sort of tacit knowledge 
oral history kind of thing that just gets passed around and you know some people do it some people don't and oh i i i don't know what you're talking about right this really helped sort of bridge that kind of you know tacit world into oh yes this is this is rubber ducking these are tracer bullets this is the driver right. this is you know any of these other things that we we sort of codified yeah and like for people who aren't familiar with rubber ducking like that's the the concept that if you have a c- computer problem you have a totem like a rubber duck or just the wall i guess and you just talk to it and describe your problem and hope that it can give you the answer and normally just by explaining it you end up at the solution or you can also talk at a person as well, I guess. Yeah, but you can't <laughs> I mean, the, the idea of the rubber duck is it's, it's a proxy if you don't have a person. Because yeah. really, it works best when you're talking to somebody. Because then you put the extra effort in to think about what they're listening to. And it's that that actually, I think, makes the technique work. Right, yeah. I find that often, like when I explain a problem to someone then the solution just kind of comes to me and I'm like, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Thank you for absolutely. listening. Yeah. That's absolutely. That, that's the workflow there because when you're explaining it to someone, you've got to sort of go one step back of, of your assumptions and, oh, well, did I actually check that? You know, I, I think this is this way or this variable is set or this thing was called. Is it really? So the more you start to kind of go back to the, the assumptions and the, the things that you think, then you start, oh, of course, it pops right in and you know what the yeah is. yeah I, I think it's even deeper than that though i think that if you look at the book there are quite a few tips that either explicitly or implicitly say you have to learn to trust your gut trust your instincts hmm. and there's a whole bunch of research that backs that up that really your conscious brain is a really thin and relatively stupid layer <laughs> no. Is that a personal insult? <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I wasn't necessarily looking directly here at the monitor, but I mean, in general, one's conscious brain is a thin and stupid layer on top of where the real work gets done, which is below the level of conscious thought. And that's where you're constantly, you know, if you're a a wolf, that's where you'd constantly be looking for prey and this kind of stuff without necessarily thinking about it. Yeah. And when you're a human being and you're coding, you know, that's where you are keeping in first. And so quite a bit of the book is about various techniques, either again, explicit or implicit, that help you surface that information. And rubber ducking is one of those techniques where it's like, I'm sure everybody here has had a problem and you go to sleep with this problem going around and around your head. And in the morning you wake up and you know what the solution is. Mm-hmm. And it's like your brain worked it out while you were sleeping. There was no conscious thought involved, but you actually managed to surface the thing. The same thing happens when you're rubber ducking. Because as you're talking and as you're explaining stuff, something in your brain is kind of like, almost it's like you're two people, right? So the fact that you're speaking means that it comes out your mouth and back in your ears and your brain is listening to that. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I never thought about it like that. But yeah, that's why I'm laughing because it just makes so much sense. Something in your brain is is listening and the fact it's listening means it's triggering all of those neurons that would get triggered when it was listening normally. And then you get the associations forming and it's dragging out of your subconscious all of these things that you actually know but you actually can't get to. Oh, it's all about those agile feedback loops. Yeah. It's, feedback. <laughs> it's the tightest feedback loop. Just talk to yourself. <laughs> Here's a fun well, tip for you, right? You know, <laughs> talking about this sort of, of rubber ducking thing and listening to yourself, do you ever notice that you get these great ideas in the shower or 
on the commute on the way home or you know somewhere where you're not in front of your keyboard there's yeah. actually an interference mechanism there when you're sitting typing at your keyboard and trying to to have the sort of breakthrough the sort of thought it's not going to come as easily as the instant you step away from the keyboard and walk away when I mean, you've ever had that happen you're walking down okay. the hall walking out to your car it's like oh of course it's, <clears throat> it's yep. whatever yeah, I'm a big believer in like Pomodoro method, just like doing 25 on, five off, because like Even my brain, my brain needs that. To agree. Yeah, I think that there's two aspects there. The Pomodoro is is kind of like recharge yourself a bit, right. and yeah, there there is the benefit of the gap in there. But the even when you're in the middle of a 20 or 25 minute, whatever you do, sprinty thing, I think it's still important to be able to kick back and learn techniques that let you not consciously focus on stuff. I mean, when you think yeah. about like great, great athletes and stuff, they are not consciously thinking about where they put their feet. You know, and there's, there's a really interesting, I can't remember who it was now. There's an essay about a basketball player mm-hmm. and he was like one of the greats. And his big thing was he could pass behind himself and he would know a player was there. And people asked him, how do you know that when you throw that ball over your shoulder, there's a player there. And he was like, I have no idea. I can't <laughs> tell you, right? There's no conscious thought going into it. And one of the reasons that we say get good at using your tools is that when you get to the level where you don't have to think about how do I delete this word or whatever it might be, you're freeing your brain up to kind of like daydream a little bit in the same way the basketball player isn't thinking about his feet. And by doing that, you're letting it kind of surface in the midst of your regular work. Yeah, it feels a little silly, but like some days I'll get in and I'll do a little typing exercise on like typeracer.com or something. And I'll like try to beat some people in typing out some words. And like, it really helps a lot because then like the words kind of flow. And then it's, you know, I'm, I feel more connected with the computer and i'm not touch typer by any means like i i'm not like perfect but like you know just getting that muscle memory in and getting some kind of automated that's thing sort of a you're describing that as kind of a warm-up <laughs> exercise to get going i think it's important here even with the pomodoro if you're sitting there slaving away stuck on a bug stuck on a design decision you know you just you're not getting you're not getting a breakthrough you're not getting an idea step away from the keyboard just stand up turn in a circle put your feet up Close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I walk around the office if possible. Yeah, don't walk around with your eyes closed. That'd be a yeah. bad combination. Yeah. <laughs> one, yeah. or the, one or the other. But, you know, that sort of just getting away from the symbols, getting away from the screen and the keyboard for even 30 seconds. And you can find, you know, all of a sudden stuff will pop in because you've given it sort of that breathing room, you know, to let the asynchronous processes in your brain kind of come to the fro. So, yeah, that's a hot tip for the day. When you're stuck on the problem, <laughs> step away from the keyboard. Secret yeah. to programming? Yeah. Don't program. <laughs> yeah. If being able to type continuously was a measure of productivity, then you know, there's no need for programmers. I mean, what we actually add in terms of value is the thinking part. So right. stepping away from uh, – here's, here's a slight variant on that. If your work environment frowns upon you, you know, entering a lotus position and going on all the time, pick up a pencil or a pen and start – scribbling. So if you're working on some problem, see if you can find a way of picturing it, draw boxes and lines or circles or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And you'd be amazed at how that switch of focus 
helps you think about it as well. I absolutely agree with that. And in fact, it, it's funny. One of the questions you all asked was uh, about sort of our favorite common sense programming techniques. Mm-hmm. And something that I used to be much better at, and I've kind of gotten out of the habit, is just leaving a paper notebook open next to you while you're programming. And it might be, you know, you just jot down those couple of command line flags that you just looked up that you, you're going to need in a minute. So you don't have to, you know, kind of store it in your memory. It might be, a, oh, don't forget, I got to go back and check this, just a little note to yourself. Or as Dave was just saying, you know, you're stuck on a problem. Well, what does that look like? What if I looked at that backwards? What if that's the reverse of it? How does this connect to that? And just make, I mean, we're not talking about a, a UML diagram or, or, you know, anything. Just, just jot down some visualization of what you're working at. Take a couple little notes. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a big formal sort of thing, but just a sort of a, it's a little bit of exocortex there. You know, a little bit of extra brain processing power. And that really makes a remarkable large difference for being such a small thing, such a common sense thing. Yeah, I keep, I got into the habit a long time ago of keeping, it's called an engineering day book. But what it really is, is just, I mean, I've got a, a book here that I got from Amazon, like I get like packets of 10 of them or something. And I just scribble notes in it. If there are stuff like, a site that I visited that I, I need to just like take a remember later on, or, you know, if I make a phone call for someone and they give me a RMA number or whatever it is, I just stick it in there. Mm-hmm. And then I forget about it because it means I can always go back and find it later on. But I also use it for just doodling and, you know, taking the kind of pictures that I was talking about. And it's invaluable. I mean, the number of times if you go through the book, you'll find half a picture which means that halfway through it, suddenly I went, ah, okay, I understand, you know, and then move on. <laughs> Next thing. Yeah, I, I like that concept a lot. I specific, very specifically remember reading that section of the book, like talking about the engineering practice of like, you know, competing to see who can fill the most of these log books and date them and put them on the shelves. It sounds like very satisfying, like having this like kind of tangible, physical trace of all of the the thoughts and hard work that you put into your job. While I was writing that section, I actually came across some of the books that I'd written in the 80s. And it is actually kind of stunning to see how different I was and also how sim- how much the same I am to the Dave Thomas that was writing back then. It's kind of fun. Well, some of that's actually really funny. You go back and look at some of these older notes from back then, and I, I'm amazed to see how many people's names and phone numbers are written in, you know, (laughs) or some office mate or whatnot. It's like, it's just filled with phone numbers. It was so important. And I'm trying to think, what was the last time I actually literally typed in a phone number for anything, right? You you Google for it on your phone, you click the link, you know, who types in the number? Yeah. The only time I ever have to type in a number is if, if I'm getting on a conference call and I don't have that link to like call me <laughs> and then I feel so begrudged. I feel so enraged the entire time. Every like digit. Knives and bear skins. I actually have to type, to, you know, dial a phone, right? We still say that. Even. Right. Yeah. The Wi-Fi is out in my airplane. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of part one to our Pragmatic Folks series that we currently have. It was great having both Dave and Thomas and Andy Hunt in the studio. Well, not really in the studio, but recording remotely. In spirit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In spirit. It was great. The one thing I want to touch over is the idea, something that I learned from speaking to those individuals is the idea of how important doodling is. I thought that like I need to have a notebook next to me now just so I can just write some things. 
Yeah, now you have an excuse. You're like, I'm, I'm just using my brain. Yeah, like, I got I got to do it all. Right? Like, you know, draw draw some, not UML diagrams per se, but I thought it was really interesting to be able to write out like the path of the development of the work that you're doing. And I thought that was very interesting that I haven't done in a very long time. So I need to pick up that habit. Yeah, I, I enjoyed learning how the most agile feedback loop is just talking to yourself. Yes. Just listening to yourself speak. <laughs> Like a crazy person, but that's okay. We're all crazy and that's all right. Yeah, yeah. That's how we get there. Yeah, so uh, this is the first of three parts of the Pragmatic series that we have, the Pragmatic Folk series. The second part, looking forward to it. It's going to be about owning your environment. Yeah, it is up to you as a programmer to own your environment. Yeah, shape it. Mm -hmm. It's it's a good discussion. And then the last part, we get a little more Dagmatic. Oh yeah. Talk about like things that we will not leave on the table and uh just, you know, cap it off. Exactly. Okay, so if you're excited to get your hands on a copy of the 20th anniversary edition of Pragmatic Programmer, you can head on over to pragprog.com, p r a g p r o g.com. The ebook is available right now, and the hardcover will be available in late September or early October. If you buy the ebook, on the website, you'll get a coupon for half off on the hardcover, which is kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, they have mentioned that that was highly requested, people who purchased the book. In 20 years, you had to wait for that hardcover. It's crazy. <laughs> You're going to have to wait another 20 for the next <laughs> <laughs> For the steel cover. I guess it's a steel <laughs> cover. If you want to contact Dave Thomas, he is Prag Dave on everything, including Twitter. So you can follow him on Twitter at Prag Dave. That's P R A G. D-A-V-E. And Andy is Pragmatic Andy on Twitter. So follow him there. And if you want to find out what he's currently doing, he has a blog. It is toolshed.com. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.